This is episode 14 of The Young Gun Show, a podcast about and for the young guns in the web industry. I'm Galen Gidman, your host. Today's guest is a designer, developer, and blogger from the UK. He's a senior UI developer at B-Sky-B and member of Smashing Magazine's Experts Panel. Harry Roberts, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. I, uh, I'll admit, though, when I first started doing my research on you, uh, like, like with every guest that comes on the podcast, I just you know Google their name. And the second result was an article on Wikipedia about a murder. So, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. Um, I share my name with a serial killer from the uh, from the UK. Yeah, but I, I guess with the name, you know, Harry Roberts, you're bound to uh, share. share There's going to be something like that, isn't there? I just hope I never get in trouble with the police because if the police ever ask me what my name is, they might think I'm trying to be funny with them. So, if anyone wants to read an interesting article about. Uh, a serial killer, Google Harry Roberts, because it was interesting. It's much more interesting than my website. <laughs> you know, y- you might actually be right about that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I read that, that entire article and not everything in your website, so you may be correct. <laughs> but, uh, but let's talk about your website <clears throat> and your stuff. I mean, how did you get started in design and uh, development? Um probably like everybody else, I think, um, kind of by accident. I had, well, I still got a um, really good friend of mine, uh, Sam, when we were about sort of 16, 17. We both really, really thought we uh, could be graphic designers. So we started doing things, logos and sort of brochures and flyers for local companies. And um, we decided, or I decided, that we should uh, get a portfolio put together. So I started learning how to build websites and it was at that point I found out I was much better at building websites than I was at uh, graphic design. So I left the uh, the graphic design stuff behind. Uh, Sam carried that on. He's still doing it to this day. And I uh, I just fell in love with web development. And that was around sort of 16, 17 years old. And uh, and took it from there, really. Cool. So, I mean, you've been doing this quite a while, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm getting older now. It's, it's mental. I'm 22 now. So I guess I've been doing it for around, well, professionally, I've been doing it for four years. So I guess, yeah, five years building websites now um, in total. Right. So, I mean, are you more of a designer or developer, or how do you see yourself uh, fitting into that mix? Certainly these days I'm more of a developer. Um, I don't do any design work uh, during my day job anymore. So um, any design work I do would have to be sort of um, like the last thing I designed was um, an app called Favorite. So um I've sort of let design stuff slip. I was never a fantastic designer anyway. I was never very good at it. Um, I had enough to get by. But uh, yeah, I'm much more a developer these days. Mm, I see. But um, yeah, and I mentioned this in the intro, but you're a member of the uh, Smashing Magazine Experts panel. And, uh, you know, I I'd imagine that's a huge honor. How did that come about? And what do you do as, as a member of that panel? Um, I think it came about, um, me and Vitaly, um, the guy who owns Smashing Mag, we've got a really good um, sort of working relationship. We email each other all the time. And um, I can't remember, it, was, it must have been like maybe two years ago. He just asked me if I wanted to join the panel and I couldn't quite believe it. Um, I said yes straight away. Um, 
and basically all that entails is any um, articles that get submitted to uh, to Smashing Mag um, by sort of their writers uh, goes through a complete sort of peer review uh, process. Um, I think a couple of people from the um, panel will review each article, um, check it for factual um, accuracy, check it for spelling mistakes, things like that. Um, so it's it's quite a big job, really. It's quite a big deal. Um, I really enjoy doing it. I get to read articles before they go live. And uh, yes, it is. Uh, it was a massive honor when when he asked me to do it. Yeah, and I I imagine you know that's really important. Um, I don't remember what what the article is about, but I think there was one that uh, was published on Netmag. Um, yes, a few months ago, and I remember there was some kind of a firestorm about crappy JavaScript or something like that. I I didn't really care to delve too deeply into why everybody was mad, but. Yeah, I, I think another one you're on about, there was, a, there was an SEO one, um, oh. there was one about SEO, um, which had that on NetMag. Um, but I presume, I mean, I presume .NET have got the same um, peer review process in place, I've, maybe that just slipped through. Um, but yeah, I'm really sort of uh, impressed with how Smashing Mag do their stuff. To have a team of people solely for reviewing the articles, uh, it's really impressive for, from my point of view. Yeah, so I mean, what's what's the process look like if someone has an idea that they think might make a good article on uh, Smashing Magazine. Can anyone submit anything, or how's that work? Yeah, I mean, Vitaly and the team are really open to uh, to anyone. I mean, they're. I mean, part of my blog's popularity is because of uh, how much they believe in sharing other people's work. So, I mean, they'll accept a, an idea of anyone. Um, you can email the team with a, an idea for an article. They'll sort of uh, give you the go-ahead. You'll write your first draft, and then that first draft will come to someone like me or someone who's uh, specializing in, a, I don't know, the typography area or whatever the article's on. And then, uh, yeah, that gets reviewed, gets sent back, and then um, the writer and the... Sorry, did you, did you cut out there? Uh, I, which bit did you get up to? Uh, the, the last words were, the editorial team take it from there. Yeah, I, I just didn't hear the editorial team part. That was... Yeah. So yeah, very cool. It's it's okay. I'll just cut it out, and people can guess whatever the last two or three words were. <laughs> cool. Um. Yeah, I mean you're right about smashing being really great about sharing stuff. I I recently did the little side project. It was a collection of brand colors, right? So mm-hmm. um, and uh, they were actually great enough to tweet that. I think yeah, twice. I saw. I think I saw that. Yeah, that was mine, and. Uh, yeah. And uh, let me that 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 uh, that that becomes a traffic spike. I guess I'll say that. So, uh, oh yeah, fine, definitely. Well, I mean, you mentioned this already. Favorite, you you're half of the two man team working on this app, and it's a Twitter favorites um, discovery app, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it does it does a lot. I mean, um, I built it with a really good friend of mine, Nick, and. Um, Nick Payne, and we both had different ideas approaching the app of what we wanted to get out of it, and uh, we ended up with more than we expected. Um, the basic sort of idea is uh, Twitter's always been quite rubbish with allowing you to manage your favorites. And you can't really do anything with them. You can view them as one big long list, but that's about it. So, um, so one half of the app is about categorizing your favorites. You can give them tags. You can search them. You can categorize them into... Um, you know, different areas, so you might have one about web development, you might have one that's a joke, well, one that's a video, and uh, and then, yeah, you can search back through your favorites, you can search through your friends' favorites, um, 
it just it just adds a whole different dimension to uh, a feature that I personally think that uh, Twitter have missed out on. Yeah, uh, I I vaguely remember uh, seeing some like the like the logo and the name seemed pretty familiar just as I was. Uh, doing some some research on you and realizing that it was you who'd actually done that, and I think that's great because I've seen you know a lot of I guess need in that in that field. I've actually had a friend who's working on um uh you know an app related to Twitter favorites, but um but I mean, what's that experience been like? Just you know uh, lo- launching and marketing and building a you know app just on the side. Um, it was really interesting. I mean, Nick's one of my best friends, so it was um, it was more fun than anything. Um, a lot of weekends spent together, listening to a lot of music, drinking a lot of beer, just building an app for uh, for fun, really. Um, we've not touched it in quite a while, which is really unfortunate. We've both been really busy. I've been speaking, and he's been uh, doing a lot of work or client work. So um, we've not had a chance to do anything with it in uh, recent months. We're hoping to pick that up again soon. But um, the process was just nonstop fun. Uh, Nick's had a lot harder time than I did. Um, he did a lot more of the difficult sort of um, the back end work. Um, but it was just—it was really interesting. It was—it um, was a fun build. Uh, nothing particularly tricky from my point of view. Um, just just a lot of fun outside of um, day-to-day work. Yeah. So you guys just kicked back on for a weekend and devoted some hours to it, I guess. Well, it was uh, it was several weekends. Um, football, um, like on the face of it, it doesn't look like that big a deal, but um, the stuff going on under the hood is absolutely uh, insane. Um, really impressed with what Nick did on it. He's got, um, I think, the most technical thing I've ever read was his um, his write up of the process of building the app. Absolutely uh, phenomenal amounts of work from him. I just kind of sat there and uh, tinkered with the front end. I think the reason it took me so long is because. Uh, I hadn't had to design anything in over a year, so I had to sort of sharpen my tools again. Mm. Yeah, it's design can be one of those things. It's you got to stay in it, you know. Oh yeah, um, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, would you recommend you know just finding a friend and going for something? Because I feel like there's a lot of people that that have that idea, and you know, maybe maybe the biggest problem, you know is people not knowing, you know, who to, who to dive into it with, but you know, side projects and little apps like, you know, favorite or, you know, any app almost you can think of really are great ways to, uh, you know, keep yourself working and busy and trying things. And I mean, they're even great for publicity. So. Yeah. I mean, I'd recommend anyone do it. I mean, it doesn't need to, it depends what you want to get out of it. Um, me and Nick never really had a, uh, or we want to we want to sell it in this many months for this amount of money. Um, so we were fortunate enough that we could treat it as an entirely fun project. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd definitely recommend it. If you've got an idea that you think might work, um, just get a couple of friends together. Uh, it, it comes a good excuse to just uh, kick back with your friends more than anything. The app sort of becomes a secondary uh, a secondary focus. Um, I just think I've got, I've got a friend. Uh, I won't name him, but he. Um, he he once said that he stopped enjoying web development as soon as someone started paying him to do it, and I can uh, I can totally get what he means by that. Uh, and that was a big part of the uh, thing on favorite. That's part of the enjoyment I got out of it, just doing something for myself rather than for anyone else. Yeah, certainly. And in, in another project you've been doing recently, um, it's actually it's actually on the cssWizardry.com domain. It's this interviews blog called InFocus, and the the tagline is a series of Brief questions with the web's best. 
So, I mean, could uh, you tell us yeah. about that? So, um, this is another one. Uh, that hasn't been touched in far too long. It's quite embarrassing, really. Um, I need to rekindle that one. But um, I was out with a, another good friend of mine, um, just out um, in the town having a few beers. And I just had this idea that um, it'd be cool to make just a little side project, more for myself than anything, uh, just a little interviews blog. And uh, I went home and did it that evening after a few beers, which is always quite fun. And um, I had the first version live by the next morning. Um, I didn't put it out to the world. It was it was done, but it needed some uh, Cerber eyes looking over it. Um, and yeah, the, the first one was with uh, Oliver Reichenstein of IA, uh, Information Architects. Um, uh, they do the like um, IA writer and stuff, right? Yeah, they do. That's I'm, one of my favorite apps of all time. I'm looking at it right now. That's what I uh, throw the show notes in. So I'm kind of staring at it right now. Um, and he was absolutely phenomenal. He was such a good guest. Um, some of the answers he gave were so insightful, so interesting. And um, it all really kicked off from there. So then I got um, Vitaly Friedman, and he was another excellent guest. And then I had um, Jens Miet, uh from Google. Uh, he'd agreed unofficially to do one. And then I just kind of uh, I lost track of things. And I never sort of carried on with it. It's a real shame. I really want to, uh, I really want to start that up again soon. Yeah, you should. It um, looked like yeah, a real... Just... Oh, sorry. sorry. Um, yeah, again, just another project for the sake of it, really. And it, it turned out really well. It's a, I actually uh, really disappointed in myself for letting it uh, letting it slip because, yeah, the rewards that were gained from an app for the... Or, sorry, a project for the sake of it um, were quite massive on that one. Mm. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It looked like it was. there was some great stuff there. and But, uh, it, I mean, it's hard. It's, in interviews... Uh... I would know are difficult things. It takes a yeah. lot of, you know, there, there's more to, to this, you know, interview um, blogs and podcasts than most people would think. So, so no hard feelings, man, but you, you need to, uh, you need to continue that. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I mean, I think you've got the hardest job out of the two of us here in that, um, yeah, you have to be able to write new questions for new people. You have to research them and then know what to ask them. And it's, uh, it's hardly an easy task, is it? It's, uh, it's quite a lot to do. So, um, in amongst everything else, I mean, a lot of uh, credit to you for sticking at it. I know I, uh, I know I should have done, but it is a difficult task. Yeah, but it is so rewarding though, because you know you get to talk to really interesting people and and learn great stuff, and you know with uh, with with the great work that goes into it comes great rewards. So, um, you recently did a talk. It was called "Breaking Good Habits at Front in, or at Front Trends 2012," and in, um, you know, in the research for the show, I watched it, and I I really really enjoyed it. Uh, for Very one much. reason, I'm I'm doing a lot of front end work right now, and some of the things you talked about and uh, you know practices that you were trying to encourage were things that I've been trying to do as well. So just from a from a purely you know, technical content perspective, I really enjoyed it. But I, I also uh, liked that you managed to take jabs at Andy Clark, Jeffrey Zeldman, Andy, Dan Cederholm in the first five minutes of the talk. So, was it, was it as many as that? It, it was. Wow. It, yes, it was. Uh, you know, they, they weren't. I wouldn't say derogat- super derogatory, but. Uh, oh no, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, th- those are all. You know, guys that have done great things for our industry, but um, I oh mean, yeah, definitely, definitely have. Could you could you briefly run over the contents of that talk? I guess to start with. 
Um, yeah, so to clarify, um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, I wasn't dissing people too badly, I hope. Uh, no, was, no, it, no. Not at all. It was best just saying that um, people like Jeffrey Zoldman um, have done amazing work for this industry, absolutely amazing work. Um, they call him the godfather of web standards for a reason. Um, he's sort of laid the foundations for, for people like me to step into this industry and be able to work like everyone else. He sort of founded a... Uh, the web standards movement and people like Andy Clark and Dan Cedarholm have helped out with that and, and many others beside. But the only problem is really um, no one's now updating these standards. No one's sort of saying, well, the web's different now. We should work a little differently. So for all this set fantastic foundations and really uh, laid the groundworks for the rest of us, I do believe that um, it's down to us now to carry the, uh, carry the torch and sort of update the web standards or update web standards rather uh, for ourselves. Um, things like avoiding using IDs in classes were kind of appropriate advice when sites were tiny, but now that sites are getting a lot bigger, a lot more app-like, I think um, advice like that is a little dangerous. Um, so the, the theory behind breaking good habits is basically saying that our old habits used to be good ones, but uh, we need to break them uh, just because they're becoming bad habits. They're kind of hindering our progress as developers. And we need to sort of uh, reconsider web standards for 2012. Mm. Yeah, and and I I liked uh, through the middle of that or the middle of the talk, you were just um, going through and showing some really practical examples of. Uh, I, I guess I guess you started off, um, you started off the technical part of the talk by you know just um, combating the idea that classes in your HTML are bad, um, and that they should be avoided. Um, and, and you started, you know, showing some really great uses for classes, and and uh, um, I don't remember the the term you were using. It was it was a concept in line with um, the object oriented CSS, right? Uh, I think you called them abstractions, or yeah, that? correct. Okay, Absolutely. so so um, <clears throat> you know, you just started showing different different ways you could find reusable pieces of code and. And, and that, yeah, actually classes aren't bad. And, and you talked about how, um, you know, with, with, a, with a website, you need to please three people. And one is the users, two it's the client, and three is yourself. And that the client probably doesn't care about your code as long as it's stable and fast and does what they want it to do. And the user most certain, you know, and, unless it's one of us that get nerdy and stuff about other people's code, they don't care about the code. So the code needs to please you as the developer. Correct, yeah. And um, and it, so and, and that's something, you know, I felt a little bit myself, like, just stop telling me how to do this. If I do it and it accomplishes all the goals and I like it, why do I have to do it, you know, these certain ways? And so um, it, it, was, it was a very freeing talk almost to listen to. Yeah, I mean... Um... When I started working at Skype sort of a year and a half ago, um, it's a much different place to um, anywhere I've ever worked before. The sites were a lot bigger, um, a lot, lot bigger, um, a lot more enterprise size um, stuff you're working on. And you start to realize that uh, product owners don't care whether you've used two less classes. Um, your clients need fast, uh, sorry, the, um, the users need fast experiences. They don't really care whether you've used an extra div or not. But um, if it makes your life as a developer easier, then you should go ahead and do it. Um, there's a lot of the rules we get told are for 
almost no point. I mean, there's no point in telling someone never to use a, a IDs or classes in their HTML. Um, it doesn't help anyone. Yeah, definitely. Although in your talk, you did you did say that we shouldn't use uh, IDs in in our CSS. Yeah, well, that's um, that's a personal one of mine. Um, so I would say never use IDs in CSS at all. Um, but there are people who say don't use any kind of ID or class hooks whatsoever. Um, that's so, a nightmare. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so as you were just saying, reusable bits of code, you can attach reusable snippets of style information to a class, but you can't necessarily attach it to a series of elements. Um, classes just carry style around really freely. They're a lot more useful than uh, than not using them. Yeah, you 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 actually have written a CSS framework called uh, Inuit.css, right? And so, um, I guess did you include lots of different? You know, you talked about some different little widgets or components that you you know use in every project. I did does does that contain some of those and? I guess even with so many other frameworks out there, what prompted you to write your own? Um, yeah, so it, it does have a few of my little um, abstractions in there. Um, I've got on my to-do list, my very long to-do list, I'm going to um, overhaul Inuit CSS, um, hopefully this side of 2013, but we'll have to see. Um, but the reason for writing it was... Um, there's a big shift towards the componentized web. Things like um, Bootstrap, they all deal with components. But um, components are only so useful. If you've got a top nav component, you can't really reuse your top nav that often because you can only have one on a page. Um, so Inuit, um, to try and go a little deeper than that and look for objects and abstractions, um, its intention was to be a very object-oriented framework. So instead of having a big component like a top nav that's heavily styled, you just have a little nav abstraction that would make any list look like a horizontal list of links. Um, so yeah, the reason for Inuit, <clears throat> I mean, Bootstrap, um, we've taken that example again. Um, Bootstrap carries a lot of styling with it. So a lot of people, a lot of the criticism of Bootstrap is that all Bootstrap sites look the same. So um, I was hoping with Inuit to write a framework that doesn't take any sort of visual uh, cosmetic styling into account whatsoever. And it just gives you a little... Um, powerful little objects and abstractions that you can uh, make design patterns with rather than components. Yeah, well, it looked like a an awesome um looks like an awesome framework and, you know, I tend to err on the side of I want less, I want less, I want less. And so almost any framework that I see uh, you know, initially feels to me whether it actually is or not. Uh, oh, they're giving me too much. Oh, I'll have to you know, be overriding their stuff, and it's too, you know, um, constraining. But Inuit looked like a really, actually a really great solution. So, yeah, um, I mean, the idea was to keep it quite light because, um, like I say, a lot of the um, a lot of the blurb that enters CSS frameworks is when um, you use a CSS framework and it's already decided what color links you're going to have, um, and that's annoying because you have to delete that stuff. That's stuff that shouldn't be in there because a framework can't decide what color links you're going to have. Uh, so the idea of Inuit was it wouldn't make any of those design design decisions for you. Um, it would just be a total bare bones. This is the, all you need, and you can add your sort of style treatment on top of it. Um, but uh, the use of frameworks depends a lot on the uh, on the project as well. If you were doing a small portfolio site, you typically wouldn't use a framework because it would be blur, and that's a chance to show off your own skills. 
Um, but certainly at Sky, we use frameworks a lot. I've written a couple of in-house frameworks for Sky. Um, and we use those all the time because we, we compress and, and um, minify all our code anyway. So even if there is a little bit of waste in there, it doesn't really make a difference to the size of the project, considering the project's so huge. Yeah, and I mean, let's be honest, CSS, you know, it, it a few extra kilobytes of CSS doesn't really affect your page that much, people. I'm sorry to break it to you, but... Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> especially if you're serving... Um, if you serve your style sheet once and cache it forever, then uh, it doesn't make any difference at all anyway. Yeah, and, and especially if it's uh, all... I mean, minification's nice, but... It, you know, if it's if it's just one HTTP request, you know, and, and one file, that's uh, that's certainly good too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, what's it been like working at Sky? That it sounds, uh, you know, I'm on I'm on the U.S. side of the pond, so I'd uh, I'd never heard of them before, and I'm still not exactly sure what 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 it is. But what what's it like trying to? bring, you know, uh, best practices and stuff into a corporate environment, which at least here in the U.S., maybe maybe those are often viewed as environments that are a little bit hostile to doing things the wrong way. Um, yeah, Sky's been really, really interesting. Um, so if people aren't aware, Sky or BSkyB are a, one of the U.K.'s biggest companies, I imagine. Um, a big media corporation, uh, Sky Television. Um, we offer broadband. We're uh, one of the U.K.'s biggest ISPs, um, really massive company. Uh, I'm currently working in their sort of betting and gaming arm of things. And um, I, when, I went, when I went to speak to Sky uh, initially, when um, sort of we were checking each other out, as it were, uh, I was really apprehensive because I was thinking, right, a corporate, they'll have to spot IE6. Um, we won't get to use any progressive enhancement. I won't get to use any CSS3. Um, I was really worried that it would be a stereotypical corporate, but um, when I met with a couple of the guys that work there um, for like an informal chat, uh, I was really impressed. Uh, for a massive corporate, they do a lot of things very, very right. We've got um, a massive dev team. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we were pushing, well, we're certainly over 50 developers pushing 100 um, just on sort of running one website or one sort of area of websites. Um, so it's been really interesting for me working on such a huge team. Um, I've always worked in the, the place I worked at before Sky. The dev team was four people. And uh, to go from four to pushing 100 has been really interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a really amazing place to work. Uh, lots of different challenges. It's taught me, well, the first thing it taught me is how bad I was at CSS. Um, you really have to have a completely different frame of mind when you're working on a, on a gigantic project. Um, it's been really challenging, but I mean, doubly rewarding, really interesting place to work. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you got to make quite a transition from, uh, working on smaller sites that, you know, there's certainly skill that goes into the structure and planning for that, for, you know, smaller sites and even medium sized sites, but you just discover a whole new level of, of, of thinking that maybe goes into a bigger, uh, you know, app or website. Totally, totally. I'm I'm doing a talk on uh, on Friday actually, which covers pretty much exactly this: <clears throat> um, the difference between working on normal sized projects and working on massive ones. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a full talk on that, and it's it's absolutely mind blowing. Um, 
you can't build science like you used to. You have to you have to write CSS thinking how it's going to work in six months' time. You have to learn a lot about CSS architecture, um, or, or not necessarily learn it, but actually um, really stick to it and really be uh, mindful of it. Um, I worked on a project at Sky. Um, I was the sole front-end developer on um, a rebuild of one of our biggest websites, and um, it took me over a year to do it. It took me over a year, a year to rebuild this front-end. Um, we're talking ginormous projects. Wow. Now, I mean, this is even something, you know, I've been trying to, to learn recently, and I'm quite positive my projects, you know, are, are nowhere near the size of the one you were doing. But just trying to make that mental transition from, you know, how, how you would write the CSS for a blog or even um, a portfolio site or even, you know, just a small business site, uh, you know, to web apps. And I mean, where do you start? in that transition? Because I know it's it's been difficult for me. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure where I started. Um, I think there are certain things that you just inherently know, like um, things like uh, specificity, and I really struggle to say that word, specificity. Um, you'll know from any size of website that specificity causes you nightmares. So um, a lot of it is just doing the same as normal, but being a little more cautious of it. Uh, however, um, Anyone approaching a massive build who's never done it before, um, I would say stop everything you're doing and go and read um, Jonathan Snook's uh, Smacks. I don't know if you've uh, had a chance to look at that yet. And um, and read Nicole Sullivan's stuff and look at some of her talks on um, sort of maintain, um, uh, maintainable CSS and, um, and stuff like that. Um, they are invaluable resources. People have done stuff like this before, so um, there's resources out there that can help you uh, pick up and do the same. Yeah, I remember when um, when the Smacks came out, and uh, it, it's funny, you know, I've been procrastinating. I've been meaning to go look at it and read it and dig into that because I know he's he's got some awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely you should go check that out. Um, yeah, you can, and you were quoting Nicole Sullivan quite a bit in your in your talk, uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to watching your other one when it comes out. Yeah, I mean, um, hopefully it'll get recorded. I'm not sure it will do. Um, we'll have to see. I'll be giving it a couple of times, so maybe someone will record it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, got uh, gave Nicole lots of big ups. It's like a running joke between me and Nicole. I'm uh, going to marry her one day. <laughs> That's funny. Um, as someone <clears throat> who's always thinking and writing and talking about how to write better CSS, I wanted to ask you about you know, your thoughts on preprocessors less and I guess SAS are the big ones, but I mean, mm -hmm. what do you think about those? What's your, what's your gut? Um, so I've had, um, I've had mixed opinions on preprocessors for a while now. Um, I certainly don't dislike them. Um, well, uh, my preprocessor of choice is SAS and I love SAS. I think it's very, very good. Um, however, what I, what I'm not too keen on is, um, a lot of people see preprocessors as a um, like a silver bullet that it'll solve all their problems, um, but that's really not the case. I'd, I'd say if you were to choose between a knowledge of SAS and a knowledge of uh, object-oriented CSS, I'd say that a knowledge of object-oriented CSS is much more valuable. Uh, you put a preprocessor in the hands of uh, someone who can't write good CSS. There's no way. There's no way they'll uh, use a preprocessor properly. Um, However, uh, that said, I think that if you have a sound knowledge of CSS and architecture, 
uh, and you get your hands on a pre processor you'll be uh, you're pretty unstoppable yeah the they're they're tools that you know I've been using less for quite a while. Less is you know, I I'd hate to start another less SaaS debate. You know, less is just my tool of choice. People SaaS is not bad. Don't send me any nasty yeah. emails. But um, one and half it isn't it the other. Yeah, you can you can pick whichever you want really. Uh, there'll always be someone who uh, hates your decision. Yeah, definitely. And so yeah, I mean, just as. As, as I've grown personally in my development skills, I've realized, boy, all those things that I thought CSS processors were good for, I was actually shooting myself on the foot to use them that way. But, um, you know, just learning how to use the extra functionality to produce better CSS and easier to maintain code is, is something that maybe you don't do it exactly the, the way that you thought you did originally. And... Uh, yeah. You know, and and um, I've been meaning to write an article about this, but people, we got to stop nesting like twenty deep. <laughs> I was just about to come at you with an example about um, yeah, nesting. Um, nesting is hailed as a, a feature of preprocessors, and that nesting should never be a feature of anything. It's an absolute nightmare. Um, no word of a lie. I saw a website that had been built with um, a preprocessor, and uh, on the homepage was a little button. Just a little sort of a call to action link. Yeah. All that really needs is one class of .btn or .dot or something. Uh, but the person who built it had gone through every single layer of the DOM, right from the body element, right down to body hash um, main or whatever, through every single level of the DOM to style up this one button, um, purely because they could nest with their preprocessor. Um, so, and again, that's not the preprocessor's fault at all. That's a that's a that's a developer um, using a preprocessor badly. Uh, of course, it's not less or SAS's fault. But um, yeah, people need to stop nesting. Yeah, definitely. I uh, someday I'll get a blog post out the door on that. Yeah, I mean, I've not been using SAS long at all. Um, I'm currently very, very slowly rebuilding CSS Wizardry because um, it really needs it. Um, and I've started using SAS for that, and I'm really impressed. And one thing I found out the other day is um, my favorite thing about SAS is the uh, extend functionality. Um, and I found out you can extend. So when you extend something, you can uh, take its sort of parent selectors with it. So you can extend an object, and it will inherit its extensions, um, sort of uh, nested selectors. So I've, I've explained that really badly. But um, basically, I found a really cool way of doing my clear fix from now on. Do you use the uh, the micro clear fix that Nicholas? Yeah, exactly that one. Um, I love Nicholas Gallagher. His site is a goldmine. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, his micro clear fix is on every project of mine, and um, yeah, whenever I've written a vanilla CSS, I've just sort of had um, the .cf class and then uh, the .nav class, and I've just added loads of classes. I've basically manually uh, extended um, the list of selectors. And yeah, I found out the other day that I can uh, combine SAS's uh, extend um, with Nicholas Gallagher's micro clear fix, and it's going to be fun. Now, now, what do you what do you think about responsive design? Have you gotten to to do a lot of that? And is is uh, it is it the way is it the way to account for mobile? I guess, in your opinion, there are so many different factors. Um, so at Sky, we just worked on a project which was nearly all tables, um, as in data tables rather than tables for layout. Um, it showed a lot of data. And um, 
Yeah, we could never do a responsive. We wanted to, but we wanted uh, we could never do a responsive uh, solution for for sites that are made up of uh, hundreds and hundreds of data tables because there's no way of handling that yet. Um, so I mean, responsive design is amazing, and I think anyone who anyone who uh, speaks ill of responsive design is doing so a little naively because um, there is nothing at all to dislike about it. Um, it may not be the full solution all of the time, but there's certainly no bad aspects of responsive design. Um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to touch much of it for, um, well, part of my favourite. Um, but yeah, most of the work I've done at Sky, like I say, we couldn't do a responsive approach for that, um, purely because of the nature of the project. Um, but yeah, favourite was done uh, mobile first, all responsive, that was a lot of fun. Um, the new CS of Wizardry, that's going mobile first, uh, lots of responsive stuff. Um, yeah, I absolutely love responsive design. I just uh, I just not got to touch much of it in a uh, a large environment lately. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this a few episodes ago with Alex Mangini, and you know, is the is, is responsive really all that it's cut out to be? You know, um, and because it's it's not without, I guess, problems. You know, the the you know, so maybe a pro is that you're working with the same data set. And, um, you know, it's, it's very much the same code or the code, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, uh, maybe it's it, not every responsive site loads all that quickly. And so especially if you're on a, a bad connection or whatever, it can be kind of a pain in that regard. Um, whereas maybe a, a native or mobile site would load faster. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on context as well. I mean, what I think people have got to remember is responsive design was born of um, three existing principles that were, until then, unrelated. Um, no one sat down and wrote a spec for how responsive code should work. It's all things that have been sort of botched together from different principles. Um, the idea of sort of uh, flexible media and uh, media queries and um, fluid grids all being entirely separate things. In their own right, I think um, I think Ethan Marcotte did a lot of very good work with responsive web design, considering he didn't get to write a spec or start from scratch. He made it out of things that already existed, um, and yeah, it's not always the right solution, but that's definitely not uh, responsive design's fault. Yeah, most certainly. I uh, tweeted out asking if anyone had any listener questions for you, and I did receive one. Dan Gold asks. Are you really a wizard? Uh, right. So um, I I hate the name CSS Wizardry. I cannot stand it. <laughs> I um, I picked it when I was seventeen, and I, d I don't know what I, I'm. Oh, I have no idea why I picked the name CSS Wizardry, and I'm stuck with it. Uh, but no, I'm not a wizard. Um, yeah, uh, it's annoying as well because um, anyone familiar with Harry Potter, who is a wizard, will know there's a scene where. Um, I think Hagrid barks, uh, you're a wizard, Harry. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a constant sort of pain for me. I'm not really a wizard, and I wish I'd never pretended to be. It's a, it's very memorable. Yeah, well, everyone says that, um, which I guess is a good thing. And it means that any service I sign up to, you can guarantee that the username CSS Wizard is always available. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a bit childish, isn't it? I mean, even at 17, I should have thought of something better than CSS Wizardry. You know, it it works, and it, and that's the idea. I mean, I um. You know, I recognized I've I'd been on this site a long time ago, and and read a few, 
um, posts and, you know, uh, when I was just looking around, I, I honestly don't remember which guest of, which prior guest recommended you. One of them did. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, you mentioned. Yeah. I don't remember who it was, but, uh, you know, and, and so they're like, oh, get this Harry Roberts guy. And so I was like, oh, yeah, this site. And, you know, it, because of the good stuff I'd read there before, it provided some instant credibility for you. But uh, it, it, it's not bad, man. No, it's not terrible. I mean, uh, it could be worse. But, um, yeah, it's it's embarrassing. Like uh, at Sky, where um, someone might say, oh, yeah, let's add you on GTalk. What's your email address? I have to look <laughs> them in the eyes and say it's cssWizardry at gmail.com. Um, it's, it's a constant source of pain. But I'm stuck with it. It's too late to go back now. And, and like you say, it's memorable, I guess. A lot of people tell me that. Whenever I complain about the name, a lot of people say that at least it's memorable. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, speaking, side projects, anything? Um, well, I've got a talk coming up. Um, there's a small conference up in the north of England uh, called the Digital Barn. It's run by um, a couple of really nice chaps from up north. Um, that's on the 22nd of September. I don't know if the podcast will be out in time for that. But, um, yeah, that's going to be a really good little event. That's, uh, like I said, the North of England. It's a really cheap sort of grassroots conference. Um, that's coming up soon. And then, yeah, um, I'm speaking somewhere in a couple of days' time, but I'm pretty sure the podcast won't be out for that, will it? Uh, this will be out two days from today, so Thursday. Oh, two days from today. Well, um, yeah, so two days from today, I'll be getting ready to speak at... Um, Canvas conference down in Birmingham. That's um, sort of the middle of the UK. Uh, speaking there on Friday. Uh, quite looking forward. To, quite nervous. It's only my uh, second big conference appearance, so uh, quite nervous about that. Well, you did a nice job on the video I watched. I wouldn't have known you were nervous. Yeah, thank you very. That's because I practiced it so much that I could have. Uh, yeah, I could have sort of given that whole four. Well, it's half an hour. I could have given that talk to anyone. Um, I'd really sort of over-rehearsed that one. That was my uh, that was my tactic, just rehearse it until I could say it to anyone. Mm, it, I, could, I could tell it, it seemed well well practiced. Thank you very much. No, well, you know, thank you for coming on the show. It was uh, it was a great episode. Uh, cheers for having me. I was, I was nervous about this as well. I've never done a, a podcast before. Nothing to worry about. It's just, you just talk. But, uh, yeah, you can find Harry on CSSWizardry.com, his personal site, that's hry.rbrts.me, harryroberts.me, or on Twitter as CSSWizardry. If you like the Young Gun Show and you'd like to get the word out, please review it on iTunes. It's really the best way to help others find the show. Tune in next time. Jared Arondu will be on the show. As always, thanks for listening.